Was it molded by it? <laughs> <laughs> Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Radio La Force. I'm your host, Mazinekar, and accompanying me, as always, is the lovely and handsome... Well, thank you, thank you. Bradley LaForce. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'll take all the compliments. Yeah. They're always good. But uh, you as well. Handsome and, and fabulous. Bless you, man. Wow. So, just getting into it. Listen, I am no bueno on this weather. Not having it. Dude, I hate cold weather. Can't do it. Yeah. My friend who's coming in to visit, she's been, you know, in, say, um, Cape Verde for two years and so right. she actually texted me the other night was like i cannot wait for cold weather and all i could think of was what hell no ain't nobody got time for that either. exactly what? like what are you talking about you want cold weather? give her three days and she's gonna be like fuck this <laughs> she's gonna be over it immediately you know listen the one satisfaction it gives me is like okay well if it's a good measure of where we are where we're at with like climate change like i'll i mean at least no we this have is weather man that's not climate this is weather. you're right, right, right. I, I retract my statement <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because you always want to do that where you're like, whatever the day is, is like, where's the global warming? It's yeah. like, wait, no, no, climate versus climate versus weather, weather versus climate. I think we all too often get that mixed up. I, yeah. I do at least, obviously. I just thought, okay, so just quick, quick tangent. Yeah, yeah. It was really funny. I can't remember who it was. Somebody at the White House was saying how like um, they had lowered emissions um, in the U.S. to like some all-time amazing low, and, and you know they were super proud of that. And I, like, all I could think about was, yeah, a pandemic and a lockdown really does help with uh, setting your climate goals and it's reaching them really quickly. That's very true. Actually, if, if there's any the complete like complete dis, you know, the the um, uh, disconnect from yeah. that. Like, no, we did a great job. No, hundreds of thousands of people died, and. We've been on technical lockdown for months. Yeah, but it has actually <laughs> been pretty rewarding environmentally, I think, you know? Yeah. In a weird way. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I, if there's a silver lining, yeah, you know, whales yeah, or whatever. Sure. Or like India, Bombay and all that. Mumbai, yeah. You can actually see the sky again. Yeah, there was those pictures from Rajasthan of them actually being able to see all the way to the mountains, which that's right. insane. That's amazing. Yeah, because that's... Yeah. Imagine living that your whole life there and not being able to... Ever yeah. see them? Yeah, I think wow. the funny thing for me, I don't know if it's uh, if it's not true because I, I have no evidence to back this up, but I swear you have been able to see more stars in New York than you've ever been able to see to see that I've ever seen. Sure, and I really feel like part of that is everybody fleeing and just all the lights that are out. Right, right. Like literally, just so many places are lights out, and at night you don't have all these. The I mean, you have most of them, but a ton of lights are out because you don't have restaurants open, you don't have bars open, you don't have clubs going on. And I, I swear, like uh, the other night I was standing outside and you could see every single star from Orion. Wow. And I was like, am I high? What's going on yeah. here? I'm not used to seeing all these stars or being able to pick out the three, you know, the three sisters. No, seven sisters. Whatever the three stars of his belt are called. Uh, yeah, but though, yeah, I, w I was just astounded. Astounded. Unbelievable. So, yeah, there are benefits to the horrendous crisis that we're still entrenched in yeah i mean well segueing into what we want to discuss today it's like that shouldn't be very difficult to describe or explain to people like mm. you know well okay we have a pandemic we shut down the world you yeah. know kind of ease off on the industry and then you know <coughs> a plus b equals c kind of thing it's just really it's a simple kind of explanation of all right well this is maybe perhaps how we should live or how we could live in order mm -hmm. to you know better solve our issues communally yeah, I, I don't, I got to be honest, I don't know why people, I am confused by why people will not accept it. It mm -hmm. makes very little sense, but yeah, I, you know. Do you think it's in the rhetoric, though? Do you think it's like, it's just, 
the the way people are receiving this information that they find it i don't you know non-believable or i mean that that could very well be i know that we talked earlier about going into the idea of you know how communication is presented um especially from a business perspective but i think it does kind of translate to everything else that idea of uh, digestibility mm -hmm. and once you start to prioritize digestibility of information you I feel that it's not the subtlety, it's that you lose the impact and the subtlety. So mm -hmm. if I'm taking a complex idea, yes, for a child, it makes sense to be um, not vague, but be be as uh, reductive as possible with the information so that you give you get across the most important points sure. and you do it in a way that they can relate. But I feel like, <coughs> excuse me, as an adult, it seems like it's kind of important to have to ask the questions to get the detail or ask the questions if you don't understand. Absolutely. It shouldn't be manageable and digestible. It should be a little complex. And, you know, I was what it brought to brought that to my mind because I, you know, I've been writing a couple of pitch decks recently for some businesses and working with other people who are writing their own on their businesses. And it has been a statement that I've heard for at least two decades while I've been in business and have worked in finance and worked with uh, small companies that, you know, make it make it like an eight-year-old, you know, like if you're reading this item to an eight-year-old. This is how people tell you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, it, you know, in finance, I would be, you know, be in charge of putting together um, the informational decks for the C-suite. So the CEO, the CFO, all, you know, the seven people and the board chairman and the board of directors, we'd be putting this information. And you're talking about hyper-complex uh, ideas and... Um, you know, financial instruments and then the different categories that they're in. And we would have to boil these down, you know, things that were hundreds of pages when we got them mm. down to like five, maybe less. And a lot of that would be visual. It had to be all, you know, reduced down and boiled down to five graphs and then five pages with maybe a hundred words each maximum. Wow. And there would be this perpetual request to reduce and, you know, compress the information and you know make make it easy make it uh, easily understandable and and for me i'm like wait you're the ceo of a you know a bank that's worth 30 billion dollars why am i making this manageable for you mm -hmm. that makes no sense like okay i get it your time is important uh, but <laughs> if i'm having to make this understandable for an eight-year-old what is going to make you have to exercise your critical thinking skills effectively to make sure that you're getting the right information sure and then you know you have the banking crisis <laughs> well that that might go hand in hand yeah right and i think that it you know it's everywhere though if it's not digestible nobody wants to spend their time with it yeah and that seems strange to me some things a lot of things should be complex and a lot you shouldn't have to you know uh reduce your vocabulary because somebody hasn't heard those words it should be okay for me to say oh i'm very verbose mm -hmm. and how adroit and assiduous and use big words and if somebody doesn't understand them it's fine. You can look at the person and be like, oh, I've never heard that word. Oh, well, and then I, you know, I give you the explanation. Oh, adroit is, you know, good at uh, uh, well taught sure. and assiduous is being a great teacher and verbose is speaking too much. And, you know, whatever the words are. Right, right. But it just seems kind of frustrating and sad that in situations where you're trying to present a lot of information or technical information or very important information, making it digestible sometimes might not be the best mode. Do you find that you find a lot of resistance mostly to whatever you're pitching because of an inferiority complex and security on behalf of the you know recipient? That I don't know. I, I don't think I've, if that has been a, a situation that has occurred, they've kept it very tight to the chest. Um, but I have been taught, I've been told by people that are um, 
viewers mm-hmm. you know they're just the fly on the wall watching the pitch where they they'll come to me and take me aside later and say hey you know that was you that was you know kind of you're fire hosing it with information oh, and wow. i you know i i kind of i don't know having been on both sides both been the investor and the person looking for the sure. capital i just don't if you can't handle that as an investor then you're not an intelligent investor if you can't be fire hosed with something if you if i can't start throwing information at you then why are you in the meeting mm. Uh, you add the deck. It's not a lot of these individuals, and I think this will go for pretty much anybody. And audience, you know, please, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. But usually, when you're pitching something, it's not blind. Mm-hmm. This individual has the information. Most likely, has had the information for weeks, if not months. Has probably been introduced to it multiple times. So if I'm now sitting in a meeting and I'm going over some complex ideas with you, why are you not prepared to hear them? Well, I think it's intro- if you're introducing these things for the first time, that I can understand. Sure, but that's the place where you can be digestible. But once you're in the pitch meeting, why am I being digestible? Yeah, right. This is right. the point where the technical questions should be asked. You're and right. This is where the depth should be really plumbed. I agree. And I think that my experience has been that most people that come into a pitch meeting who are the investor are usually wholly unprepared. And uh, my experience has been, especially pitching the plastic project, which we, which we spoke about last week, mm-hmm. um, astounded at the fact that these people had the deck for months and they would ask questions that were verbatim answered within the deck now i i can understand to a certain point you want to test me and know if i know my deck well that makes sense yeah but at a certain point it becomes very obvious that you literally didn't look at anything you you didn't read it you maybe skimmed the first page but you didn't delve into any part of it and now you're asking me questions that are beyond redundant they're all they're almost just bore out of pure ignorance mm-hmm. and laziness. I don't want to actually read your deck. I just want to like have you talk to me and make me feel a little fancy and that I'm I want, you know, you need me more than I need you. Well, I think we may all know the answer to this, but what do you find is the most focused on piece of a pitch deck for you from investors? <clears throat> Funny enough, the thing they all want you to write is the financial forecast right there they want to see that pnl they want to see the forecast roi oh yeah and and honestly it's all lies it's literally just pulling numbers out of the air yes maybe based in in your experience and in the industry at large etc and maybe yeah you do nail it and you're you stick right on that course Mm -hmm. but let's be honest it's who cares if you know your monthly burn that's all you need to know Mm -hmm. how much you're going to spend per month to make to a start the company b grow the company and c bring it to profitability sure okay fine but those numbers, wh- why is, I just, I will still not understand why that's the important part of a deck. When I look at a deck, that's the last thing I'm going to look at. I'm going to look at it and be like, okay, you need a million. Okay, you need two million. Oh, and you're five, you're going to need another couple of million. And then I'm going to temper it with my understanding of being an investor and think, oh, okay, they haven't seen these three things that really can come up and bite you. And they haven't seen these two parts that could come up and bite them. I'm going to guess that they're going to need a second round of funding. And mm-hmm. uh, for, I, might, I might ask or I might just keep it to myself. And if I think it's still a, a quality investment, then I'll go forward with it. Because it's unnecessary to grip them with a, a fear that has not presented itself yet. Sure. And you can prepare so much, but you can also really retra- uh, deduct on a person's ability to be prepared by giving them too many things to be anxious about. You mm-hmm. know, too many things for them to think about in year two. How about let's just get your get through the first quarter and then we can start worrying about year two. Right. So I'd say overall for investors, it's the P and L um and the financial market and then maybe 
maybe protections. So do you have IP? If you have IP, do you have it? You know, is it USPTO? Is it WIPO? So U United States Patent Trademark Office, right, right. World International Patent Office. Um, what's some, and then maybe sometimes the structure of it. Um, that's those are kind of the main ones, and it, it that's to me is kind of surprising because the thing that I'm most interested in is the tech. Sure. I, you know, the IP and the s the separation of IP and the s and the the bifurcation or s or safety of it is important. But how does the tech grow? What is it actually doing? What is the team doing? I want to meet the, I don't want to meet just the guy who's the pitch guy because mm -hmm. he's supposed to sound good, smile big, look great, and present well. Mm -hmm. I'd like to meet the person that is not necessarily uh, background, but is uh, meat and potatoes, sure. right? I want to meet a couple of the engineers. I want to see what the machinery looks like. Yeah. And I also want to get an understanding if, if you, I want to know if you have a very clear understanding of what, the capacity of the market is so how much money can you actually make <coughs> and what the capacity of you to reach that market is sure because i think that's the part that people forget about is you know we'll all talk about marketing and we'll have a very uh, a pretty decent understanding of how we want to market the item but how does that translate into you know client retention how does that translate into deal flow how does that translate into um, each of those portions of finding the consumer or the business or whoever you're doing businesses and turn that into cash mm -hmm. how do you change how do you monetize a, a, a relationship yeah i mean I, I i also find that it, it really you have to really find the right type of investor you know i remember we were pitching a couple of films a couple of years ago and it's just you know we're, we're going to tech expos to kind of pitch a film you know and mm -hmm. it's like these guys of course ask us a buttload of questions about what you know what to expect because they don't know film finance yeah but it's you know I also quickly realized almost in that minute that it's not, these aren't the kind of guys we need. They're not the kind of guys that understand what we're doing. And it's not, you know, especially as first time filmmakers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just kind of have to go and find the guys that do understand this and we can excite about this, you know. And I think that could be the same in all industries throughout different sectors of like, okay, find, you know, tech guys, investors who like tech and or, or have a, pro a portfolio in tech. Sure. They're going to understand what you're doing with an app or a new platform on social media or whatever. Sure. And I think that just goes around, you know, but it's my one of my biggest challenges is literally finding those guys, you know, the, the people who understand what we're trying to do. I'm sure you can also attest to that, understand what you're sure. trying to do with the green project and, you know, get them to, to, to see the, gr the, the bigger picture. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that finding people that have their strengths in that area is important. Mm. Um, That's rare, though, no? Hey, in the greenscape, yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's really hard to separate the people who like to greenwash because that's about 99 percent from the one percent who are really interested in doing something new and something that is solving an actual problem not just taking another chunk of that little tiny slice of pie that right. we're all trying to get on right um, a good example is like in construction uh you don't get anything done without your guys right so my employees they are skim coating walls they're framing things they're building furniture they're painting they're doing plumbing electrical they have to be there mm -hmm. i have to be there to bring in contracts and i can't tell you how many companies uh in 2018 and 2019 would come to us and be like we are here to help the contractor i'm like okay cool let's have a meeting this sounds fascinating i'd love more deal flow and then we would sit down with them and they're basically a marketing company which is great that's fine um but they have 
massive costs associated. So they're like, you know, they want $15,000 from us up front and then they want, you know, 2% or 5% or 10% of every contract, (coughs) excuse me, that they bring into us. Right. Uh, I don't know if the audience is familiar, but 10% is about what you make off of each contract when you are doing construction. So if somebody takes that 10%, you have to figure out how to tell the client it's going to be 10% more. And mm-hmm. these people aren't helping you file your file your permits. They're not helping you close the job out. They're not hiring the architects or the engineers or helping you with the ancillary stuff. They're literally just putting your name on the internet. So they're taking this one slice of pie. You know, the whole pie is the construction industry, the marketing involved, the t- logistics, da 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 da. They're just taking the profit pie, profit slice, yeah, and just trying to dig into it. And it's really funny because they're like, "Oh no, we're important. We are necessary for your survival." They will really try to like convince you of this. And I just every time I'd leave the meeting, be like, "No, you're not for us." Yeah. Like, why do I need you? Like, unless you can guarantee, and they couldn't guarantee anything. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't, you know, if I was like, if you can guarantee me a million in contracts for the year, I'm in. Like, I'll I'll, I'll drop some cash. Course, ready to go. 10% but then, oh, no, we can't. We, yeah. you know, that's, we don't guarantee anything. Well, then what are you doing? Because I guarantee my work. Mm-hmm. When I sign that contract, guess what? I have to finish the contract, no matter what it takes. Even if I underbid it, even if I screw something up, I'm still going to complete. That's mm-hmm. the end of it. And so it was always just really surprising that that, is pretty much what most of these companies out there that are innovating or are being disruptive. They're just taking a slice of the, the profit pie that, oh, yeah. and they're not actually adding any value at all. Yeah. And so, excuse me, the, the thing that frustrates me is I feel like that a lot of investors have settled in that space where it's, if it's innovative, it means that you're just, you're skimming, you're skimming the top. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's not innovation. That's just, Writing a Try, check. Yeah. It, well, it's also just grinding somebody else into the ground. That's all you're doing is you just found another group of people to grind into the ground. I think a great from the music and, and film industry, entertainment in general, I think one of my favorite things is where you'll hear um, a major studio or it, it's somebody that's involved on the, the higher end side of it that does say, you know, we lost a billion dollars to piracy. Excuse me. You didn't lose anything. Mm-hmm. You wanted a billion dollars. And you think you deserve another billion dollars. You didn't lose anything. That's a billion dollars that you didn't get. You never had. That's like me going to you, Maz, and be like, Maz, can I borrow 10 grand? And you're like, no. And I'm like, I can't believe I just lost $10,000. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that's not how that works. Yeah, yeah. And I see your point. Essentially, that's what it is. <laughs> that is exactly what they're doing. They are repatriating, repackaging an idea as an actual loss so that you'll think about it as an actual loss for them. And, uh, That's yeah. insane. That's and this like perpetual repackaging is what we do here. <coughs> and if I'm asked to be as uh, re- you know reductive as possible with my pitch to an individual who also is convinced that piracy is money he has not made, mm-hmm. we have a there there's going to be a huge gap. <laughs> wow. We are going to have a chasm to get past because his idea of profitability and my knowledge of what is profitable are wildly different 
and wildly on different pages. So that's usually the cutoff when you when you face an investor or, or his assistance or some his or her assistance where they're just like, okay, well, can you can you reduce this a little bit? Oh God, yeah, they love to do that. There's always somewhere that the business doesn't even exist. Okay, mm -hmm. so we're talking about a, a it's conceptual. Seat. Yeah, this right. is it's not conceptual. Let's say we actually have a machine and it's working. Okay, but we don't have a you know we don't have deal flow. We maybe not don't have clients. We've just been building stuff for free or we've made some stuff and sent it out to influencers. Sure. Whatever the level is, right? Nothing's actually happened. Why are you trying to reduce costs yet? First, let's actually get something going. It's the same idea of arguing over percentages mm. when a business hasn't even started yet. Sure. You're arguing over zero. You want 50% of zero? Cool. Have 50% of zero. Go away. It, it's it's just hilarious to me. As the uh, entrepreneur and, and as the person who's got boots on the ground, I don't really care about what percentage I have mm. as long as I have rules written into the contract, into the um corporate guidelines and corporate charter such as that things have to follow a specific guide so if i'm doing <coughs> a green company mm -hmm. and we're going to do this you know recycling then there are going to have to be stipulations in there that keep us on that track so i because i don't want them to reduce costs and then all of a sudden introduce virgin materials to reduce costs gotcha i don't want them to do that because that gives them deal flow to these other places i don't want to reduce I don't want to complicate our ability to call ourselves green if all of a sudden we're putting additives into this product right. that are caustic or have to be dealt with, you know, in you know specific ways to be remediated. And that happens over and over and over in, you know, in industry, especially in like small tools and um, consumer facing products. You know, not only is there the idea of um, what is that called? It's a. Um, shrinkflation where you'll you know candy bar in 1995 was you know 6.6 .6 grams mm -hmm. and now in 2020 it, or sorry 2020 it's uh you know 5.5 grams it's a half just a pound it's yeah. just barely <laughs> shrunk sure, sure but it saves them two pennies over you know 500 million ha candy bars they just save themselves 20 million bucks a good example is i think it was american airlines or united one of them they reduce the amount of olives in the salads they serve i think only in first class from like 10 to 6 olives. How dare they? I know. But reducing those four olives, four olives times God knows how many of these, you know, food, you know, uh, these uh, meals times how many planes, they save themselves like five, six million bucks. Okay. I, I can kind of get behind that. No, I can't. I can I'm sorry. I can kind of get behind I'm it. not paying for a first class <laughs> ticket. I want 10 goddamn olives in my salad, sir. <laughs> but, you know, the shrinkflation translates into goods as well. So you have. Um, you know, tools that they'll use you know, lower quality plastics or lower quality metals. Mm. They start reducing the, uh, the, the thickness sidewalls of specific things. They'll reduce the type of metal that they're using. They'll increase the nickel content or this content and it reduces the cost, but it gives you a f an inferior item. Mm -hmm. I mean, my favorite of recently that is so blatantly just, I just am astounded that nobody is really making a big deal about is that Apple stopped including a charger. And their excuse was to oh, green, like it was, right. you know, they're trying to help make everything green. Get the hell out of <laughs> here. You figured out a way to make yourselves an extra $40 and offset that cost onto other people. You don't even have to deal with the charger anymore. You can still sue people for making a charger that might maybe infringes on your copyright. Right. But you're not giving it to the consumer. Well, this, is, well, this is interesting because I, I, I don't have a, I don't have any of the new iPhone. Yet. I'm sure. still on iPhone 10. I, th I think it's great. But hey, it's stick with it. Are they even giving you like no charger? So are they? But are they selling their own? Like, I haven't looked even yeah, further. Yeah, yeah. As soon as I heard that they weren't, I was like, "Yep, that's Apple. Apple does not innovate anything. They are a 
finance company that has a, a tiny little, you know, hardware company attached to it. Uh-huh. And they do nothing but steal and then repackage it. That's all they do. And their other favorite thing to do, which I think that they were the progenitors of, was making things as hard as possible uh, for the consumer to fix. They try to very effectively and, and aggressively make it almost impossible Definitely. for consumers to that I agree with you. Yeah, fix their own heart, which to me is not innovative. That is just punitive. Yeah. And for some reason, people are fine with that. Indi- yeah. they, 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 there is a cult of personality around Apple that it, it and to me it's just it is so funny. It's the idea of like all the conspiracy theorists that are, you know, the really fringe people are like the vaccine, they're going to put a microchip. I'm like, "Yo, <laughs> You have a phone in your pocket, and you just posted that to Facebook. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't need to <laughs> microchip you, bro. Yeah. You not only signed up for it willingly, you were like, what else do you want to know about me? My yeah. porn habits? Exactly. No problem. Deal like, done. <laughs> I know, I It just know. blows my mind. That's pretty hilarious. But Is that why, by the way, you st- it's probably why you stay away from a lot of Apple products, I noticed. Yeah, I don't like, well, I stay away from Apple for two reasons. One is that, and then also Apple is evil corp. There are very few companies on the planet that are as destructive environmentally um, and economically as Apple is. I mean, uh, the petroleum companies for a lot of years were, they're kind of toothless dogs now and they're slowly dying out. So yeah. they're trying to do what they can do. But tech is the real evil like sure. it for, for environmentally like they sure, holy sure. god the idea of having to get a new phone every year is atrocious just on a consumer gluttonous level but how you get the coltan the terbium mm-hmm. the rhodium the cesium all these metals that are required to make these products i don't let anybody tell you uh, you know what no, audience, again yeah. let anybody tell you all the lies they want having seen half of the mines it is not cute it is not governed there is no osha standard it is literally people fighting to work for almost nothing and literally getting beaten back so that they don't get into the mines because there's so many people that want in they literally make sure this keeps going so that they get the materials at the lowest possible price and then the re the the remediation after you've pulled the ore and you have to crush it down and leach the whatever the gold or silver whatever it is out of it they just dump these chemicals mm-hmm. maybe sometimes they'll re- you know remediate some of them but that's it so you're talking about an entire industry that a depends on slave labor b depends on um uh different countries n- continually being in a, in a state of um, war or in a just a complete state of disrepair so that you can keep the cost low sure. so that you can continue to pull that material in and and then make these products and then send it right back to them to get cut up and you know recycled again without any safety stuff in place mm-hmm. without any anything and so no ppe no oh yeah. <laughs> at best no no yeah. gloves no nothing yeah, yeah, yeah. and so they are the they are actively and aggressively making this happen Mm -hmm. Uh, and they are fine with it and we by the transitive property we are complicit and completely okay with it too and this translates to all electronics products especially and it is mind-boggling that it's well i mean if it's listen hey if it's happening 
It's happening at 3,000 miles from me. I don't want to know. Yeah, we don't care. Yeah. Exactly. It's totally fine. If I can only, if I see my poverty porn, I'm good. You know, mm -hmm. take pictures of it because that's what it is. You know, we'll only show you the places that are super beat up. But I mean, we have them all over America too. And we have the same thing. There yeah. are, you know, the reservations that the, uh, we've put our, the natives of this country on are not well taken care of. I agree. And then, you, you know, any major city has nasty nasty areas and as it's gotten poor and the more money keeps on leaching into the rich people's hands the more homeless people i see and the more homeless people i meet that are not they, they don't have a drug and alcohol problem they don't have a mental instability or uh, issue they're just poor and i think that's the other thing i think people don't realize how much being poor affects you i really don't and as somebody who grew up poor and has been poor m multiple times in his life and i do mean like homeless level poor mm -hmm. it's not that can cause enough stress to create a mental illness sure and that to me is the like the unspoken horror of america is that you're supposed to be able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps but eventually you've had everything stolen including the bootstraps and now you have nothing mm -hmm. and you're still supposed to be able to pull yourself up in some way there is no uh, equal equality, and there is no uh, request for equilibrium. There is literally just a uh, a thought process of, well, if I can do it, they can do it. Sure. Well, if you came here with a dream and six million dollars, yeah, of course you're going to be able to do it. But if you came here with a dream and you are, a, you know, a political refugee, and you you know, have a background that's completely different of ours, it might not go very well. Or maybe you're an American and you just don't have access and you didn't get an education. What's the difference? So, I mean, I feel like the moral of this, because uh, it's a beautiful tangent, I have to say. Seriously, <laughs> yeah, no, that, gen genuinely. dark. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, but necessary, I think. We, it's, I think, at least for me, it's really important to keep that stuff at the forefront. But um, it's that the investor doesn't care. They don't care about these things. So no, how, how do they we, don't. How do, you, how do you make them care? How do you show them that, I hey. I don't know. Uh, hey. I am trying to figure that out because that's the problem. The money is more important. Yeah. And I do not understand that because <coughs> the economy did not come grinding to a halt because a bunch of CEOs went on vacation. Mm -hmm. The economy came grinding to a halt because we had to shut everything down and no plumbers were working and no electricians were working and carpenters weren't working and waitresses weren't working and chefs weren't working. And all these people who actually make all the money for the wealthy people, mm. they are the ones that stopped working. They're the ones that create the wealth. So when I go to an investor, it has become uh, a very delicate tightrope to walk because I respect them. I respect their position of what they're able to offer me, sure. but I do not respect that they're, I do not respect the money and the, I think the way they want me to. Yeah. Your money is, uh, wh wh who cares? Yeah. You know, I, we can always figure out a way to get people. We can always figure out a way to pay people somehow, some way barter system, whatever it is. So yeah, your yeah, money yeah. is now this construct that is not worth more than my team's hard work. It's just not true. And anytime you start to make that false, uh, you know, equate equality, it, it takes you down a notch and it, and it literally forces me down below you. It literally puts you standing on my team. Do you find yourself though, that that might have to be necessary times to just swallow that pill and say, all right, you know, this is how we could make you money. And this is how, I mean, obviously that's part of the conversation, but to put, to dilute everything that you want to do and all the passion that you have mm -hmm. for changing the environment or changing, you know, or, or, or for, you know, making a film, whatever. I mean, to dilute that to, 
Yes, this is what your ROI is going to look like based on our forecast or you know. Fine. Of course, you're going to have to have that. Of just, course, you know. The issue is because it's. I, by the way, it's yeah. wildly. It's just as uncomfortable for me as I'm sure it is for you. I get. What I, do you mean? I, I don't like talking about that stuff. I hate talking about money. Oh, I don't mind it. I have no problem. Man. Yeah, well, I'll put my hand out any time of the day. You know. No, no, no. It's not. You a, pay me. Yeah. My, my issue is that if we want to change the the dialogue, somebody has to. That's true. Right something has to something has to start that portion of the conversation yeah and that's the part that you know i think that that's what i'm referring to is that you know i understand it's a tightrope and i have to respect their position respect what they're bringing to the table this money at the same time i want to shift that paradigm slightly yeah and have it where they they realize that i am doing them a favor they're not doing me a favor. If I can, you know, if I can use that as an illustration, I don't think anybody's doing anybody favors. And I don't think we should ever look at it that way. It's either a transactional equality. Hi, I have this, you have that let's exchange, or <coughs> it's just a passionate belief in that item. And yeah. so it is equal. It feels equal because it doesn't matter if it's what 1% that you put in, you feel like you did the most you could. Right. I put in 99%. I felt I should put in 99%, whatever it is, it still is equal. Um, and, that conversation has to start. You know, the, the other thing that, you know, to tie this in a little bit, maybe awkwardly, but I, I don't care. Uh, you know, Black Lives Matter starts happening and we actually start really having, we still, everybody has to actually look in the eye, the inequality that is out there and admit it. The one thing that kind of always just gets me is that you can see the, you can, if you can see the inequality, then we can fix it. And it doesn't have to be fixed over some massive length of time. It doesn't take 20 years for us to reinstitute and actually fight for equality. It just takes the majority of people saying, yep, we're going to do it. And the, t the tide changes and the ideas switch. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but eight months ago, I didn't really give a crap if a bartender wore latex gloves and a mask when they were serving me a drink, even though I knew that, you know, I had been hearing about this and in March, the pandemic was a thing. I still was like, oh, it's kind of weird. Mm -hmm. Now, hello, whoa, like if you're not being very clear and very obvious with your sanitization techniques, I'm going to notice and I'm going to say something. Mm -hmm. The world can change in, on its nose that, yeah. you know, the, the humans are hyper adaptable. And this idea that change has to take time is ludicrous. It just means we all have to agree the change has to happen now. I agree. So the investor needs to understand his money is worthy and it is important, but it is only a very small portion of the entire machine that has to be created yeah. for an effective product, service, whatever it is to move forward. And it's the same for equality between black and white and you know humanity. It doesn't it doesn't have to take time the conversation has happened it is continuing to happen it's just up to us period to say yes we are ready for equality let's move forward with equality you're here and i don't i i i get very i i don't like when i hear people like oh it has to take time i think the other thing that is going to be super uncomfortable and i don't know how to deal with this yet and i don't know how i feel about it but i feel like being able to have conversations Especially with investors or, you know, with your black friends where you're able to talk about each other's experiences right now is not the, I don't think is the time for me to talk about my experiences, but I think eventually that has to happen because that's how we gain perspective and equality. Where my perspective percent. might not be yours and it might not be right. And it might even if and if it is offensive, 
I get, you get the chance to tell me, Hey man, that's offensive. Mm-hmm. This is why it was offensive. Very clearly not that was offensive. Explain the, that, that is how you used, um, y- you know, your statement of it's only money to make me feel like I, you know, I'm not worthy cause I don't have that kind of money or mm-hmm. whatever it is, but walking through experience and having the difficult conversation is super important. And it's, I feel like that one's going to be really hard to do. I'm going to just bring it straight back to the investor thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I feel like that's going to be really hard to do because you, people really do put their, you know, their self-worth is in their pocketbook. Mm-hmm. And so when you start questioning, especially when they have a lot of money, maybe they haven't heard no, and you start questioning their, basically their humanity because you're saying, well, your money's not, your money's not important. Yeah. What is their immediate reaction most likely going to be? No, well, screw you. I'm exactly. leaving. Yeah, yeah. Instead of sitting down, well, okay, why? How? What can we do to be ha- have a better, you know, understanding and experience between each other? Mm. And yeah, I mean, again, we're we're arguing this. We're you know we're. Well, I mean, it's. Uh, I think you know we're, we're uh, with the show as well. I mean, the point is to always get to a point of let, let's let's see if we can get to a solution to, sure. to these big questions. I mean, the, the closest I can get right now with just from this conversation is realizing that these issues are very circumstantial and that if you have the ability to adapt, you know, you're really going to promote change one adaptation at a time. I would agree. I think that they are they are not circumstantial. The rea- the the acknowledgement of them is what has become circumstantial and hopefully it doesn't continue it becomes longitudinal, sure. right? Because the inequality has existed in the U.S. for 200 years, yeah. 300 years, 400 years. So I think that it is now very clear, very obvious, and uh, well-recorded what those inequalities are, how the atrocities have happened, what part we can play in moving forward. That's the current situation. Making sure that we adapt to it and actually move into a new modal, that's absolutely important but yeah recognition of this moment yeah it, it has to happen yeah can we do it <laughs> that's a good question it's a great question i think that's a great question to perhaps even leave off on but it's um honestly i mean again the show is really just built on gaining perspective through this kind of discourse and i think you know whatever we can do i, I think it all starts here and it should always continue to to, to always be discussed yeah otherwise you know we're, we're, you know, we're developing these sloth-like mentalities and getting lazy on ourselves. Well, you know, everything has to be boiled down to under, you know, so an eight-year-old can understand it. (laughs) 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 And it's just not true. No. Some things are complex and they're important to be very clear and verbose and use a big vocabulary for. Yeah. And I think that hopefully that encourages other people to have the big think ideas and the big think processes and Mm -hmm. not if anything, honestly, that's part of the idea of not have you know of um, m- moving people in the direction where science is not lambasted and intelligence is not lambasted, and where money is the only object. Maybe it should be, you know, the Nobel Prize and that ceremony should be as big as the Oscars. I agree. So that we understand where our entire lives come from. Is all these scientists working independently, sometimes in collaboration, and creating the world that we have, and hopefully we can look at the world we have and say, you know what? It is a little bit better. How can we make it even better? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I, I think that is part of the idea of complex ideas being explained. It doesn't have to be over complex, but it has to be explained thoroughly. Yeah. And the person should ask the questions and do the research on their own. Damn good. Oh, yeah, man. I couldn't agree more. Well, Hey, that, that was 
Congratulations, we agree. Uh, there you go. Hey, that's proof in the pudding right there. <laughs> I don't think I changed his mind. I think he was already on my my route. But hey, guys, I mean, let us know what you think. I mean, again, this is this is we invite you to discuss these things with us as well, and we look forward to to, to seeing your comments, questions, concerns, anything. Um, and again, thank you, sir. Thank you for for, for enlightening us with that. So my favorite hour of the week. Oh man, likewise, <laughs> and I have a blast here. Um, and yeah, so we'll uh, we'll pick up next week then. That sounds great. Thanks everybody. Have a good one. Ciao. Ciao.